We've talked a lot on this show about talking to your aging parents about how they plan on taking care of themselves during retirement. That and people in their mid-30s thinking about the financial legacy that they want to leave to their kids. But have you heard it from someone who's already retired? The idea of breaking the cycle doesn't necessarily mean you need to leave money to your kids. It can be as simple as not being a burden to them right now. My son is British and he would just inherit under British rules. So Portuguese inheritance rules don't apply where you're a national of another country. So assuming that for the house that we've got in Portugal, there isn't going to be a problem. I do need to write the Portuguese will that says that. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not going to be valid. That's Rosemary. She's a lawyer from the UK who has lived in over 13 countries and retired in Portugal. Now, she's very aware that there are lots of issues to worry about, like healthcare and contingency plans if something were to happen to her and her children had to take care of her. In that clip you just heard, she's talking about navigating estate planning challenges because, well, her children are in one country and she's in another. Even if you can't relate to her situation, of course, unless you've also lived in 13 countries and have a house in Portugal, the universal challenge of not being a burden on your loved ones is. The question then becomes, how will you make sure that you're prepared so that someone doesn't have to spend gobs of money they may not have to take care of you? Welcome to Beyond the Dollar with me, Sarah Lee Kane, a show where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects your well-being. Rosemary Boynton, a retired lawyer and founder of Long Life Fun Life, comes on the show to talk about her current lifestyle as a retiree and the considerations she had to make to ensure she has enough to take care of herself now so her children don't have to. She also talks about her desire to leave her children some sort of inheritance and the types of documents and rules that she has to wade through. Before we start, I want you to know that there are no cut and dry answers when it comes to money management. That's why it's important for you to dial in on your values and use that as your guide. I have a free value-based spending guide that walks you through some juicy questions and how you can start using them to allocate your money. To grab it, head over to beyondthedollar.co slash values. All right, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. Rosemary, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. Tell me first a bit about what sparked your desire to travel and retire abroad. To start right at the beginning, when I was a teenager, my dream was to speak lots of languages and to travel a lot and to have friends all around the world. I trained as a lawyer and then I chose a law firm that had a foreign office, which was not so common in the days when I was a young lawyer. And eventually I managed to get a job abroad, which happened to be in Belgium, was the first place that I went to. I have altogether been in 13 different countries. Some of them I've lived in without having a job there. And I really appreciate the slightly longer time that you get. So if you're like I lived in Ukraine for a year. Living in Ukraine for a year is absolutely different from going there for two weeks. So you get the culture and the background and you get to know people, you make friends and in a different way than if you just go on holiday there. That has always been a driver for me because I love the intellectual satisfaction of finding out about other cultures and it gives you a richness to life. It probably wasn't the best move I made career-wise and to earn the most money 
but it was a really satisfactory way. And I'm really grateful to the law firm that enabled me to do all that. So it came to the point where I was going to retire. My husband and I had been living in Switzerland for a long time, except that I mostly commuted to wherever it was that I was working. I recognized, and here we get to the financial part, that Switzerland was not going to be a long-term option for us because all of my assets were in pounds and the Swiss franc was rising rapidly and has been. After having lived there for seven years, we actually sold our flat. And when it came to where are we going to retire to, we had a dilemma. It For us, it was really quite a difficult choice. Where were we going to live? We didn't particularly want to live in the UK, having lived in so many other places for so long. We thought about going to France, where my son lives, and that was going to be our big retirement project. We actually bought the land, but then along came Brexit and the fact that the pound dropped by about 20% in value because of that referendum. I was worried about ending up with a half-built house that we couldn't afford to, to live in. The second strand to this is that the other part of the dream, besides building a house, was to sail around the Mediterranean. So we started living on the boat for part of the year. We started looking around for marinas here in Portugal. Then we found out that Portugal has got a very good tax deal for people who are EU citizens and from outside the EU. It's 10-year tax break on any pension income, which is a really big bonus. That was part of our decision to retire in this particular way. Of course, there are all sorts of other aspects besides the financial one. For example, Portugal, being a good European country that has quite social ideas, shall we say, has a very good health system, which is open to all. And the EU arrangement about health make it easy to fit into that system if you were already a member of the EU. And they have great food lots of fish, very healthy, there's lots of fresh vegetables and different environments. You've got the sea, you've got mountains here, lovely countryside. And we found that despite the fact that we're older, we've met quite a few people and made good friends with them. We found it very easy to settle here. This is sort of a two-part question. One is, can you explain to the listeners like how like, I know there's, you mentioned there's insurance. So you're saying if you're an EU resident, it's kind of taken care of. Is that through taxes or what do you mean by that? If you're Portuguese and you live here, you pay into the national system. It's a kind of a part of your tax, like paying into social security benefits. I'm not quite sure how the American system works exactly, but I think the system in all the European countries are much easier than the American system because, for example, you don't get problems about pre-existing conditions and things like that, which can absolutely ruin healthcare for some people, as far as I can make out. There are some kinds of insurance where it's difficult to get because of restrictions like that, conditions. For example, it's actually quite difficult to get insurance when you're over 75 if you wanted travel insurance. If you travel within Europe, because of the reciprocal arrangements, it's much easier. But for example, going to the state, it would be quite hard for somebody over some arbitrary age limit. Mag has a limit of 65. So that makes it quite tricky to travel. But I haven't really traveled because for the last year I haven't been anywhere because of COVID basically. <laughs> Is running out of money during your retirement years a big concern for you? I don't think that Europeans think about running out of money in the same way that Americans do because there's always some backstop system to support you in European countries. Whereas I'm not sure that's the case in, in the US. I'm only looking at it from the outside. On the other hand, 
there are still a lot of financial questions to ask yourself. And one is, it's still expensive if you have to go into a care home because that care home costs are not necessarily covered by national systems in Europe. It seems to me to be absolutely crazy, but if you get cancer and you needed to be in some kind of nursing home, you would be catered for. But if you got dementia, then it doesn't get covered. So there are some anomalies about what you can and can't do. So you do have a niggling feeling that, yes, maybe I'm going to have to spend all my assets on some kind of social care. For example, people who have Alzheimer's who might wander off and that becomes too great a burden to be able to look after somebody like that. So it is a concern in the longer run. I think the fear of your brain falling apart and you're losing your sense of identity as a person and your cognitive capacities is very real and is one for which you want to know that maybe you do have enough money to be able to be cared for in those circumstances without being a burden upon anybody else. It's really interesting, and this is just a general observation, is that when people talk about retiring abroad or they age and they're scared to even think about estate planning, so how are you going to figure out your assets or what's going to happen if you need medical care? They don't want to think about that because they feel like, well, if I start thinking about it, it's going to happen, <laughs> right? But it's also like there's a different level of concern, so to speak, especially if you're in a different country. My question is, have you spoken with your spouse about it? Are there any contingency plans or have you had anything formally written down in case anything does happen? We still have property in the UK. So if the worst came to the worst, we could move back there and allow ourselves to be cared for through the national health system there, which is quite comprehensive. So that's our fallback position. We had a discussion the other day, actually, about whether if one of us dies and the other one is left on their own, what would the remaining one do? We were uncertain whether we would actually stay here or whether we would move away. I don't know. That's a question for us to ponder. In terms of contingency plans on the financial side, yes, we have discussed it because we do have some savings that are earmarked for this is worst case scenario, you know, one of us has something terrible happen and we need to, I don't know, go back or... But there's another question in there also is the way that you leave a legacy to your children. You build up your savings and you know that part of it is for looking after yourself for those years. But the capital sum, I don't want to touch because that's going to be my legacy to the children. I have to say that both my husband and I, we're second marriages, so we have children with different fathers. So his assets are going to go to his children and my assets will go to my children. We do have to document that. Now, I've done it under an English will, but I do need to make a, a separate will in Portugal, which I haven't done. That is definitely on my list of things to do. And in fact, I did phone somebody up about three months ago, but I still done nothing about it. <laughs> So I need to get on with it because Portugal, it's quite a different system from the common law, which is the UK model. So under the common law, you can do what you want. But civil law, there are often quite strict rules about whether you can leave a house, for example. You can't leave it to just one child. You have to leave it to all your children. And it causes enormous problems, actually, because we tried to buy a house in Croatia years ago. And this man owned the whole of the house apart from one room in the middle. He had had an argument with his sister about 25 years before all this. And she just wasn't agreed to do it because she wouldn't do anything with her brother. That was it. We didn't get the house in the end because we couldn't buy the room in the middle. That is hilarious. 
That is not an uncommon problem in civil law countries. A lot of French farms used to be very small because of this rule. And in many ways, it was meant to be fair to all the children. In a lot of ways, it was a lot fairer, particularly at the time it was introduced a few centuries ago. But it left a legacy that isn't so flexible when times have changed. Does it add another layer of complexity because your son's in France and then your husband's children are in another country as well? Not really, because my son is British and he will just inherit under British rules. Because what I need to do is just, you can do this in Portugal. I, I don't think you can do this quite the same way in France. So Portuguese inheritance rules don't apply where you're a national of another country. Assuming that for the house that we've got in Portugal, there isn't going to be a problem. I do need to write the Portuguese will that says that. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not going to be valid. So your assets are in British pounds. Is there at any point, did you think, I might have to dip into the principal amount, like the legacy that I'm leaving for my children? Is that something that's ever crossed your mind? Well, it's something that I would wish to avoid if I possibly can. Ultimately, I could still take some money I've invested in some property in the UK, and so I can just sell one of the properties. In fact, I was wondering about doing it anyway, just because I might be able to do something better in a different situation. Because I did try to sell one a couple of years ago, just after the Brexit decision. So that is one thought, and that I've been considering it again <laughs> recently, actually. I had signed a contract with somebody who could buy this property if she bought before the law changed. And she drew out the day before. <laughs> so I was pretty pissed off about that. But anyway, and so that kind of put me off all the effort of going through all the ramifications of selling something for a while. It sounds like you've thought out a lot of things through. To me, it sounds all pretty complex, right? And I live in one country. <laughs> Whereas you've like, I've lived in all these different countries and now I have to think about the estate planning, healthcare. I still want to travel and have fun, but I don't want to be a burden on my kids in case something does happen. How, I mean, because the obvious question is how are you keeping all of this organized? Well, the little property business, I've been running it for years. I started it in 1990. So that just toddles along. I bought and sold properties every now and then and changed it. And now I, I've, what I've done is got it all into one building as opposed to having them in different places just to make the administration more easier. To be honest, it's a bit of a chore, but I have to say that the income that I've had from it has been pretty great, really, for the amount of effort involved. So whether that's going to continue or not, though, I'm just not sure because COVID has changed things quite a lot in terms of property markets and People are reluctant to move because of the health complications at the moment and renting out is not so easy. I just had a couple of flats professionally cleaned, which I don't usually do, but I got them to do a really deep clean because I just wanted to make sure no COVID for anybody. So there's issues like that, but they're just practical ones. There are things which crop up all the time, but they're generally quite small. And As we're winding down... I am curious, what would you say in all your years, I mean, I know there's been a lot of lessons, but what would you say would have been the biggest lessons you've learned about money? I still think that one of the hardest things to do is this business about what you spend now versus what you need for the future. I think that's a really hard life decision because you won't have fun and enjoy yourself 
or if you've got very little money. And there have been times in my life when I've had very little money. I've been on the poverty line before I became a lawyer. I was definitely on the poverty line as a single mother. When you don't have any money and you just worry about it all the time because you're worried that you can't pay the electricity bill or you can't buy enough to eat, that you don't really think about putting money aside for a pension because that just doesn't sit, that isn't a trade-off. But as you get older and you perhaps have a bit more money because you get higher up in your career or something, then you can make decisions like I did, which is to spend a lot of money on a boat. A boat is not a good investment. But on the other hand, it's given me so much pleasure. Also, the amount that you're going to spend on yourself versus leaving a legacy for your children is, a, is, I think, is a really tricky question as well. What do you hope your children learn from the way you've lived your life and the way you've managed your money? I think that they learn to live within their income. And I, I think that's an important lesson. And I think they've learned their independence as well. Both of them are well established. My son has his own business, which he runs from home. And my daughter works and her husband's a doctor. And they retain a certain level of independence, which I think an important point. So is not to feel guilty about what you do with the money that is yours. To be honest, I've never really asked them about what provision they've made for their futures. But I think that both of them have seen that property has worked well for me and that for them, they have done similar things. So I like to think that they've learned that from me because they've seen me doing it. And we have discussions about it from time to time. Should we do this or should we do that? Yeah, I think that's a lesson that they've learned. Awesome. Well, Rosemary, thank you so much for coming on Beyond the Dollar. You can find Rosemary at longlifefunlife.com and on Instagram at longlifefunlife. Coming up next, I'm going to break down my conversation with Rosemary and some lessons and considerations that you can think about when it comes to making sure that you're not a burden on your children or your loved ones. Everyone, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rosemary. Just a caveat before we start is your life may not look as complex as Rosemary's, right? She has property in one area. She has a boat in another country. Her children are all over the EU. That's just a lot of different complicated laws and locations that you have to deal with. Now, of course, I don't know about your situation. And if that's you, that is amazing. Please let me know on Instagram or email me. Hello, hello at Beyond the Dollar. I seriously would love to know. All right. So back to Rosemary, even if you don't have a complex amount of assets or you don't have a lot of business or whatever it is, it's still important to think things through as you're aging. Now, assuming you're in your 20s or your 30s, that may not be something you want to think about, but it should be something in the back of your mind. There are products out there for older generations. I'm going to be a bit US specific here, like long-term insurance. Even things like life insurance can really help to protect your loved ones in case you do die prematurely and they have to cover costs related to funerals or replacing your income, let's say you leave children behind. Other than that, there are things, pretty simple, basic things that I'm sure that you're already doing is saving more money, thinking about retirement, whether you live in the US and you need to rely on a 401k or an IRA, or you're in a more socialist kind of government, much like what Rosemary's, it's really still important to figure out any backup plans, any healthcare options, things like that, just in case, because you never know. Now, going back to Rosemary's conversation, 
Yes, Portugal and even the UK has a great healthcare system, according to her. There are still many things that aren't covered. And so it's a really good idea just to figure out, okay, what is covered and what isn't? Are there ways I can just really think about it now and find some ways to really protect myself? Because at the end of the day, it is to help protect you. You don't want to run out of money. You don't want to be in a situation where you do have to drain your savings or you have really nowhere to go. And it is also a way to protect your loved ones. I have unfortunately heard way too many stories of adult children taking care of their parents or relatives taking care of their parents and they're forking over thousands of dollars and maybe even tens of thousands of dollars to care for their aging parents. And so this is a really difficult question to think about, but do you want your children or your loved ones to be financially burdened by you? Now, of course, you may not have the income to set aside a lot of money. Maybe you're still trying to figure out healthcare insurance and all those things. So maybe in that case, it's really about looking at how much can you afford with the money that you have, or it's even about figuring out what resources are available. So it could be government resources or even nonprofit ones so that you have a list and that everybody's aware and you're aware and you're just prepared as you can. Now, speaking of income and savings, now Rosemary is finding it very important to leave a legacy in terms of her finances. And so going with the theme of this season, which is breaking the cycle, maybe she wants to do that to continue to help her children to build generational wealth or even for her grandchildren. Now, I am here to say that you don't have to do that. It's probably more important at this point to figure out what your health needs are. I do have a bonus episode from last season talking about your legacy, both in your financial life and beyond, if you're really interested in this concept of legacy. I do know that something I didn't add in there is the idea of someone spending their money because of you, because of a health situation. Now, I mean, I I just do want to throw it out there that, of course, you're not trying to do this on purpose, right? Things happen. Life happens. But again, at the end of the day, it's about being as prepared as you can be in case something does happen. So my challenge for you today is to look at where you stand in terms of your finances and even your health and start taking small steps in order to just prepare for the unexpected. And that could even be talking to your children about your retirement or aging concerns. Or if you have a parent who's about to retire or is getting on in their years, it could be talking to them about it too, right? Starting these types of conversations is going to really, really open the door to so much more because you never know what's out there. Even talking to your friends, maybe they have thought about things like writing a will, getting life insurance, all of those things, right? Just preparing yourself is really, really key here. So Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please share with a friend or any of the other episodes you've enjoyed. It will really help to share the mission of what we're trying to do around here at Beyond the Dollar, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects your well-being. All right, next week, I have Carter Colefield, super inspirational story. He was orphaned when he was 16 and came from a fairly low-income background. And so we talk about what that really meant, how he was able to go to college and get a really great job and now has his own accounting firm. So I really hope that you'll stick around for that. All right, everyone, until next time, keep living beyond the dollar.